episode of the two-part series on housing, we spoke with Lou Weiser, a patient navigator working on a housing and social determinants of health project at 16th Street Community Clinic. In this episode, we will speak with Jassy Foreman, the program director at Solid Ground. Solid Ground is a nonprofit organization in the Twin Cities metro area committed to families experiencing housing instability. We hope you enjoy our interview with this incredible housing professional, advocate, and activist. Also, be sure to listen to the quiz question answer from our first episode in the series afterwards. Our first question for you is, can you tell listeners your name, position, and the work that your organization does? I am Jazzy Foreman. I am the program director here at Solid Ground, and we work with homeless families. Our goal is to stabilize families who have been homeless. It could be short-term or long-term. We have five different programs uh, for homeless families. Our newest program is Homework Starts With Home which is a program that we collaborate with the school district and the Ramsey County Collaborative, as well as uh, St. Andrew's Church. And we work with families of students who are homeless, who are referred to us by the community social workers. And then I'm, I, my, I'm officed at a site-based program that has 34 units of housing, 14 of which are permanent supportive, and 20 of which are uh, transitional housing. We have uh, long-term housing, which is a year or more of homelessness, or we have uh, transitional housing, which folks come in for two years stay. Our permanent housing is for unlimited amount of time here at Solid Ground at East Metro Place. And then we have a veterans program, which is located in Maplewood, our home front program, and we have 10 units of housing in a 50 unit building there. And we have scattered sites in suburban Ramsey and uh, Washington County. We have up to 24 units that we work with community landlords to house our families. So at any given time, we work with 80 to 90 families. And I have staff of social workers, employment ed coordinators, youth and parenting coordinators, property managers, and then um, housing specialists that are staffed to serve our families. Thank you so much for telling us a little bit more about your work. Um, I know that Abby was really excited to interview you and it sounds like you've got a lot of, a lot of great programs. So thank you, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to learn more. So how did you become interested in your current work? You know, um, I have a 23-year history in telecommunications, and um, I moved here from Seattle and worked with U.S. West, which is now CenturyLink, and um, took an early buyout, went back to school, and got my degree in theological, at a theological seminary. And then um, a guy at my church just kept telling me, I need to come work with them. I knew nothing about the nonprofit sector at all. And he said, but you just always, you meet people right where they're at. You know, I, wa- I watch you minister to people and you just meet people right where they're at. We need folks like you in our industry. And so, um, and I became homeless during this process. 
because I ran out of money going back to school. So me and my boys became homeless and one of my best girlfriends, we stayed with her for about three months. And uh, during that time, I ran into someone who I was on the Hennepin County Leadership Academy. And he, uh, I, I hope this, I'm going about this in a because it's kind of my life history that brought me here. <laughs> and he um, uh, shared with me that he had changed his job too. And he was a property manager. And I told him, you know what? I had come out of US West and I lost my house because I kind of ran out of money. So I needed, I'm, I'm looking for a place to stay. So he gave me his card, told me who to call and I ended up getting a place through him. And the experience of being homeless is something that I never thought that would happen to me and my children. And I think a, being a divorced single mom is the worst thing that could ever happen to you. And so I, I always um, wanted to help be that person to help facilitate um, someone's life to to either help them out of homelessness or prevent them from becoming homeless. That experience taught me a lot about myself and it taught me a lot about the importance of knowing uh, and networking, knowing people who can help you, knowing just being able to navigate the system. And at that time I knew nothing about social services or anything like that. So I learned the hard way. <laughs> how to navigate and become uh, housed again. And now I own my home. I outright, I don't have a mortgage or anything. So it, it, it was a goal of mine never to be homeless again. So I worked towards that and I achieved that. So I just believe that I have um, the, the right attitude to help people who need that type of support because it's the worst place to be in. And it's, I mean, at that time, my baby boy was uh, 13 or 14 and my oldest son was going on 17. So for them, it was really difficult. High school and junior high, it was a difficult time because their stability was ripped from them. And so I, the impact that it has on your family, it, it it's just, nothing that you can explain to anyone unless you've been there. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you can empathize and you can be in awareness and you, but, but my homelessness came because of economics. It didn't come because of, of anything that I was doing to myself or any inabilities. Even at that time when I would try to uh, apply for different positions, uh, they tell me I was overqualified <laughs> or they tell, you know, it was like I'd be interviewed by folks as young as you. And they say, this woman knows more than me. She could do my job kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? So it was just an awkward time in my life. But I managed to uh, uh, come into a place where um, whatever job became available, that's what I was gonna take. And so at that time, I took a position at, it's called um, Resource Inc. And it was like a 
probably a quarter of what I made in corporate America. And the woman said she wasn't going to even interview me because she saw where I came from. But I told her from zero to whatever is a, is a raise. <laughs> and I need to pay bills and, and feed my kids, you know? And so I ended up getting that job and progressed. It was a brand new program. And that, and that was working with youth. And so um, it just seemed like things just started falling into place as far as where I'm at now from where I came from in the nonprofit sector. I worked with um, the youth for about a year, and then I moved on to uh, chemical health and mental health, working with Turning Point, which is an African-American culturally specific treatment program. I was uh, worked with the men in employment and then became the program manager for the Mothers and Children's program. And, and that's how I got involved in housing. And then an opportunity became came forth for me to go to Model Cities. And Model Cities was, and I was gonna become the housing advocate there. And then I became the housing coordinator. And then I got the opportunity to become the program director at Perspectives, which is another big housing program in, in Minnesota for women coming out of recovery. And then um, I worked there for about five years. I learned so much between model cities and perspectives about housing, about trauma, about uh, the impacts of homelessness on families. And uh, that, you know, sometimes you're gonna be successful with that family and sometimes not. Sometimes you just plant the seed and, so, and they move on and someone else um, brings them to a different level. So it's just so much that I learned in that process. And then I did a little bit of work at Lutheran Social Service. And then now, and then I came here to Solid Ground and I've been here for nine years. And I love what I do. I can honestly say that every day I get up to go to work, I enjoy what I do. And I don't know how many people can say that in their life, but I'm fortunate that I can do that and I can watch families grow and develop and watch even new staff grow and develop and help um, motivate and encourage folks to be self-sufficient and stabilized. So that's how I got into housing. Yeah, <laughs> it was a long journey, but that was my journey. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. Um, our next question, and I know you talked a little bit about this um, already, but we were wondering if you could um, tell us a little bit more about why housing is something we should be particularly concerned about um, and what are the potential consequences of ignoring that issue? One thing about housing, it brings stability to your life. It gives you, when you go home, it should be your sanctuary. It's your place to be able to be you and be free and, and be developed and, and be able to fellowship with other folks within your own home. And when you don't have that, you have no stability. You're in what, we, what I call a survival mode. And when you're always trying to figure out where your next meal is coming from, where I'm gonna lay my head, where my kids are gonna get clothes from, when it starts getting cold outside, winter clothes, boots, things like that, it's, it's you, you are traumatized. 
you you have one focus and that is to survive to the next day and that is no way to live you are emotionally challenged you it, it can even create uh the mental your emotional emotional instability where you become depressed or anxious you know it can cause stress because some of the things you might go through at a shelter or some of the things that you might go through on the street living in your car it, it's traumatizing you know and i watch some of our families who come in and sometimes it takes them a few months just to unpack the little bit of things that they have because they're not sure if somebody's going to knock on the door and say you got to go it really challenges who you are and 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 takes every fiber of your being to survive when you're homeless those are the consequences you have mental health issues you some people chemical health they can't survive a day without smoking they weed because they can't they can't function on just some people drink you know they can't function in that realm of life and it is a hard way to go when you don't have a key to call your own when you don't have a lease with your name on it you are homeless and that is no 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 place for anyone to be and what does it do it impacts our generations to the the mom the dad that generation it impacts and it, it impacts the generation that they're bringing up when they have children because their children are traumatized the, a child needs a home everyone deserves a home you know and sometimes we have these preconceived notions that homelessness comes from uh people not doing right doing things that they shouldn't be doing but that's not true economically it can if you're economically challenged <laughs> you can lose your home because the price of housing is expensive it, and if your income doesn't match you can you, you can be one paycheck away from being homeless and the consequence is it's it 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 just impacts it just doesn't impact the person who's homeless homeless it impacts the uh taxes it impacts communities it impacts other relatives you know what i'm saying because you're someone's trying to help their people and then sometimes they're not in a position to be helped we have folks that we house here and they have relatives that are still homeless possibly and then they try to help them well they can't because there's there's only so much time that they can be they, that outside guests can live here with them. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's just a domino effect. Because sometimes what will happen is a family will take in another family, and then they end up losing their housing <laughs> because they tried to help another family because that property manager says you got to go. There's too many people in this home. There's overcrowding. So it's just a it. it there's so many impacts to our community and our society that homelessness brings. I could go on and on and on, but it's really something that people need to really educate themselves on what homelessness is and how they can help. 
I um, hope that answers the question. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely okay. answers the question. Um, we really appreciate like uh, hearing your insights on this. Um, and, you know, it's, it's such an important issue that it's so it's so maybe not represented well in in like media and not represented well in the news um so getting like a firsthand um like insight on that it's it's absolutely incredible well um, think about our veterans who are homeless i mean it's so so i mean they they served our country and it's 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 almost like no one cares. And that, and until the, I can say the Obama administration came in, there was a definite change in the veteran process to getting housing. And I just, I, I think about some of our veterans that have come in our program and have, have thrived and moved on with their families. You know, I think about uh, some of the veterans that don't want to move. They're in a permanent housing position and we've set them up with the appropriate resources. So now they have a stable place to live and their children have a stable place to live. The, imagine, and I'll use my own family as an example, because my oldest son, he went through my divorce with me, even though my baby boy was a baby he didn't know his dad the same way that is my oldest son did and so he went through a lot of trauma with that and i had a i bought a home after my divorce in seattle i lived in seattle and, and moved here and so when when uh i moved here my oldest son was in the fifth grade and he was not because he was a uh, first grader, when we went through the divorce, um, he kind of got behind in school and it affected him emotionally. And so we went through uh, children's therapy and all of that. But when I moved here, I got him a tutor so that by the time he went through sixth grade, by the time he got to seventh grade, which is junior high, he was at reading level. And so I had the ability to do that for my child to help him through his trauma. And then my youngest son, all the way from the first grade, all the way through junior high, he, he had the same, we lived in the same home. We, he had the same teachers, you know, he had the same friends. They, they those friends are their friends today as adults. So the stability in, in their lives is, shows because they've been in the same environment when you uproot your children and don't and and don't have the ability to put the resources in place to help them through that trauma they become possibly those same homeless adults because they haven't been developed they haven't been given the, the tools to overcome those hurts and those pains that they've experienced in their life. And that's not everyone, but that's how sometimes folks become homeless again, because they did not get that stability. They did not get that reinforcement. They didn't get that 
person in their life saying how much they're loved, how talented they are, how beautiful they are. There's so many possibilities and opportunities for you. They're, they didn't get those things. Because when you have generational poverty, it just per perpetuates that homelessness. It just continues to cycle. And when I watched families come through our program here and they break that cycle. I watched two, two women in particular that the first couple of years I was here and they both broke the cycle of education. They were the first in their family to ever get a, 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 a GED or diploma. And there was three generations of moms that came and watched them. Like there was three rows of that family celebrating the possibilities for their life. Do you, do you understand when you, when you put those efforts in, into even adults and, and they open up to you and you present opportunities, change can come. And that's what we're about here at Solid Ground hopefully presenting the opportunity for change. Thank you so much. It's it's so interesting how housing and education and like mental health are also interconnected. Um, yes. And illustrating with, with stories, you know, it's, it's so much more powerful than just reading statistics and, and things like that. So can you share a story about how the housing situation has changed maybe with the community that you work with? So I think over the last probably nine years, because I've been here nine years, we've seen more trauma in families because we're, you know, there was the crack addiction that came to the community, right? Then there's the meth addiction and now the opiate addiction. So uh, some of these folks were raised by people in those addictions. So the value systems of family aren't the same. So you're teaching families how to live again, how to be responsive, how to be accountable. The sweet part about it is there's a desire for better. There's a desire for more. Folks know that there's more to life than what they've seen and been through. You know, they don't want that anymore. They want something different. So that's what I've seen over the last nine years, more trauma. So we've been, we've changed the way we provide and becoming more trauma informed and, and uh, using the, the housing first model, which means with mental health issues, with chemical health issues, we're not gonna deny you the ability to have housing. We're gonna bring in the services to help you be able to uh, move forward in your life, however that's going to look to you, becoming more person-centered and meeting folks right where they're at and not mandating services, but coaching through life skills and presenting the opportunities for families to be able to uh, get those resources, whether it's a mental health therapist, whether it's parenting classes, whether it's budgeting. And we want all of our families to go through tenant training so they can learn how to re 
build a relationship with the landlord and pay their rent on time, building those skills of life that um, are going to help them be, remain stable. So that's really um, how it's, I see that it's affected our community in that we, we have to, we're more clinical driven in that we bring in clinicians that even help us through our case reviews at times, because there's some, some families, there's layers and layers of issues historically. And then you have families, just like I say, life hit them the hard way economically and they, they're motivated and they can do their thing. But there's some families we have to pull those layers off and help them realize a different type of lifestyle. So there's a lot of different challenges, but there's also the great rewards, you know, of knowing that change has come. I mean, we've had families in the last year because every family at East Metro Place that moves out, they if if Section 8 vouchers are available, there's a possibility they get those vouchers. And we've had, I think, three families in the last year that incomed out, so they don't need the voucher. You know what I'm saying? So it's just amazing to watch people grow and change and be able to, to pursue their goals and feel comfortable in doing that. And so it, it's exciting, but it's also challenging. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing about your insights on that. It's really wonderful to hear more about the Housing First model and how solid ground is, is person-centered um, in the way that they work with housing. I guess maybe this ties into the last question a little bit, but what are some things that, that give you hope about the future of housing? Um, yeah. I, I think... Right now, for us, we're looking at master leasing because sometimes people's credit is is not, or they may have a, a, a criminal history background. And so they're housing ready, but they've had some flaws in their history. So we, we're, we're working right now to work with landlords to master lease. And that's where we pay the landlord and then the participant pays us the, their portion of the rent, which we help build a relationship with that landlord and that participant so that after that year's lease is up, they're able to take over their own lease. Those are some exciting things that we're doing. We also have partnered with different folks in the community. As I said earlier, like our homework starts with home program. We partner with St. Andrew's Church the Ramsey County Collaborative, and then the, uh, the 621, 622, 23, and 24 school districts, working with them to help house children who, uh, who are in those school districts who have been identified as homeless, as well as prevention dollars, which putting dollars into to prevent people from being evicted. So those are all different types of ways that we're working to help prevent and bring folks into housing. So we're recruiting landlords. Right now I have a volunteer that's working with my housing specialist that that's all she does is recruit landlords. 
We've updated our website with our a whole landlord page. Um, this month, we're actually gonna be doing a Zoom presentation to a group of landlords, about 15 landlords about th this opportunity of master leasing. So we're looking forward to um, making that happen. We partnered with um, a Metro HRA with our Homework Starts with Home program. So we'll be able to give Section 8 vouchers out to 15 of those 32 families. So we have to come up with a criteria to um, make sure that it's gonna be beneficial for the, for the families that maybe long-term they're not gonna be able to, uh, I'll just say it this way, they may be economically challenged to be able to pay full market rate rent. So we're, we're looking at that. So we're, one of the things, our hopes is to partner with folks that want the same things that we want, and that's to keep folks in housing, to have a stable place to live. I think you, you almost, I think you kind of answered our, our next question, but um, I'll ask it anyway, just in case you have any um, follow-ups. Um, so how can people who work to address housing partner with other areas of public health? So you mentioned the uh, the education um, aspect of it. You mentioned kind of the clinicians. Uh, and then you also mentioned uh, like public health, people who are working at the county, um, and then of course landlords. Um, do you see any other areas that like might be also included? Um, I guess I'm thinking like arts, uh, nutrition, even like dentistry. Yeah. Well, uh, we have chemical health folks that are um, that that I can lean towards, and they'll actually come in and do assessments. I have a partnership in that way. The food shelf three times a week. We have we have volunteers that volunteer for us, and they go pick, especially during COVID, they go pick up food three times a week and bring it to our families. We're um, so the food shelf is really connected. Um, to helping feed our families. Um, when new families move in, they do a special uh, box for the families that are coming into our housing. So yes, there's so many different partnerships that are important because we can't do it all by ourselves. And if it wasn't for the volunteers that we have, like we have a tutoring program and that tutoring program is a lot of, folks who, from the community that come in and tutor our kids. So it's every, when I think about how people can help, um, what, I mean, what is your skill? Do you know how to type? Do you know technical services like computer services and things like that? You can go, you can volunteer at any shelter and teach classes, teach in uh, resume building, teach, interview skills, all those kinds of things. If you as a professional have a great heart for helping people to move forward in their lives, what skill can you bring to the table? It can be used to help someone else. We have folks that come in before COVID, we can't do it so much now because of the social distancing, but we, every month, we had a, a group in the community that would come in and prepare a community meal for our families. So then all the families would come down and eat and things like that. A lot of our churches 
They do coat dries for us. They, you know, things like that, that uh, this year we did we didn't get as many coats as we normally get. So we, we partnered with Goodwill and bought some gift cards or gift certificates for those families that we weren't able to, to get coats for. So because a lot of people, because of the social distancing, they're not able to get out and do like they normally would do for us. So this is a, this is a season to me with this pandemic for people to reflect on how can I give back to my community in ways that you don't even think of? And then we, we, we normally have a flu clinic that comes in. We also have had dentistry uh, services come in and do the basics of cleaning the teeth and things like that for, for our kiddos. And so I think there's so many different connections in our community that can help uh, through our shelters, through our transitional housing and all of that. People who need transportation, you know, giving, just donating gift cards for Cub, donating, they, donating gift cards for Walmart, donating gift cards for gas, things like that. Those are things that our families can use. When they start working, they got to get on the bus or they got to have gas for their car. If, they, if they're fortunate to have a vehicle, you know? So those are all different ways that folks can contribute to, to uh, homeless families. And again, I'm gonna say, just educate oneself on homelessness because sometimes we have preconceived notions on why people are homeless and it's not always the truth, <laughs> it's not. And the other piece that impacts, and I didn't say this earlier, is that a lot of homeless families, they don't have their a clinic that they go to. Emergency becomes, or urgent care becomes their doctor. You know, like they don't have the same health history because they're going to urgent care. You know what I'm saying? The, the preventative care is not there. So helping families establish a health clinic, establish a doctor. Those kinds of things are important because when, you, when you're homeless, your, your health conditions um, are higher in comparison to the general population. You know, you have your diabetes, the hypertension, depression, you can have substance use disorders, even um, heart conditions, hepatitis, all of those things, but all of those things are, are uh, if you have a regular preventative care schedule with the clinic, those are things that can be prevented. But if you're not in a system, a, a health system, and you're just going when you feel sick, that's, that is what happens. Sometimes you become diseased not having that wellness plan in place. It looks like you already touched on quite a bit, um, but we're wondering if maybe you have something to add. Um, it's about how can people become involved and support work in addressing housing? I mean, I know that you mentioned um, about self-education and volunteering, um, making donations. Um, 
kind of what professional services um, folks can offer. But I'm wondering, is there anything um, that folks could do, like maybe in like the uh, policy um, realm that any any initiatives that they could support or that things that are going on right now? Yep. Every year there's a homeless day on the hill. And it's usually in March, I want to say, March or May. It's one of them M months. <laughs> but we have homeless day on the hill and you can, whatever your zip code is, whoever your councilman or your senator or whoever, you can go speak to them in regards to homelessness and, and how important that is. And the, the other piece, and this is off of the, the political piece of it, but don't treat homeless people like they're invisible. If you see someone say good morning, you could be their light. You could bring them out of just a good morning and a smile could, could help someone in that depressed state. Realizing that they're, they are a person. You know, sometimes you, you're in the park or whatever and homeless people hang out in the park, you know? And, and sometimes we, we become fearful when, when they're, not, they're not there to attack anyone. They're, they're not invisible. It show, in other words, it's showing respect and giving someone dignity. And I think that's the most important piece of, of not the most important, but it's a very important piece of helping folks out of homelessness. But it advocate, you can call your local shelters to find out what items are needed and then contact your local scout troops or civic organizations to, to organize like food drives or other fundraising events to pull those items together, you know, and follow local politics and speak up at town council meetings on issues of homelessness and programs for the homeless, you know, sometimes you can even, well, we don't, Newspapers aren't as popular as they used to be, but some people can blog or they can write articles to about your community and how people can help, you know, to get involved. I think um, it's important that everyone consider what can I do to help? What, what can I do? Every day when I wake up, I always, um, part of my prayer is, is how can I help someone today? Put people across my pathway that I can just speak a word of encouragement to. Sometimes we're, we, we have so much clothes, we don't know what to do with. <laughs> you know, sometimes you call and especially if you're a professional, people need interview clothes. You know, they need shoes. They need things that, uh, that we don't think about. We just, we may donate them to Goodwill or we may, but there may be a shelter that could use those things. Call them and ask them. There's a lot of clothes closets that need good professional clothes donated to them. You know, it, it's important that um, we just not think about ourselves, that we be more selfless and realize the needs of our community. Go bigger than our household. <laughs> bigger than our household. We're talking about um, the half year of school is almost up. And even though some of the kids are distance learning, they still, they, they grow. 
So people need socks. People need T-shirts. Kids need underwear. You know, they need those kinds of things. And if you choose not to buy them, get a gift card from Target or Walmart. You know, those are the things that people need. Just the everyday basic needs is what folks really, really want. And then bigger than that is mentorship. You know, have, have you ever just thought about putting yourself out there to mentor someone? You know, maybe there's some somebody out there that's in cosmetology and we have people who want to go to cosmetology. Maybe you shadow them. Maybe you let them shadow you. You know, different ways that you can encourage folks to, to develop themselves. You know, there's all, there's so many, many opportunities that we can help and we need that help. So just reach out to, 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 to different shelters or transitional housing and say, how can I help? We have a breakfast in the, in the uh, April every year. And then we do a fundraiser, an additional fundraiser. We just did one, our first uh, virtual gala this past October. So, and there's so many ways that people give. We have, there's auction items that people give and they're used in our auction piece. And then there's just plain and simple donating money. <laughs> so to keep our operations continuously going and growing and giving us more opportunity to provide housing for families. Wow, your, your list of like ways that anyone can help just in small and big ways, um, I think is, it's so encompassing and also very specific um, to housing and, and helping out the specific families that you're working on. So we really appreciate that, your mantra of like, how can I help? So our last question for you um, is, how have you seen discussion around housing change in recent years? And how do you see it changing in the future? I think people are becoming more and more aware. And what I, what, as people become, just like today, as having this conversation with you, you know, I think uh, people are more and more becoming aware of, of people's conditions. And especially with pan the pandemic, and right now we have a, a housing moratorium where there's people who can't even pay their rent. You know, there's there's resources out there for them, but some. I mean, you can get caught up, but if you're if you don't have income, how do you stay caught up? You know, there's there's so there's a lot of discussion going on. There's a lot of talk. How. I mean, it's impacting the landlords, the property managers, because they have their bills to pay. And then you have folks that are fearful because they've never lived in a, or never ever thought they would not have employment. They never thought they'd be in this condition. So it's, it's kind of like I tell my staff, we're fortunate that we're able to continue to do our work, but there's folks out there that are not. And even with us continuing to do our work, we had to redesign and do a reset on how we do our work. And so that's caused additional stress on us. And we are the providers. So we have to be extra careful to take care of ourselves, to be in that right attitude, that right mindset, 
to be able to help and serve our folks. And every day, when you, even when I get out in my car and I go somewhere, coming to work, people drive crazy. They're like, the whole attitude of life has changed. You go to the store, there's, there's a whole attitude that's different. There's some people in my neighborhood, it's really kind of cool because people who are, are around more, so you know your neighbors more. There's that good side. But then there's that other side when people become anxious because they're not able to provide and do like they have in the past, they feel discouraged. So it's up to all of us to encourage one another to move forward in whatever condition we're in, because it takes all of us to make a community. And if I'm discouraged, there should be someone that's encouraging me. <laughs> if I'm encouraged, I should be encouraging someone. It's got to continue. The same way with the discussions on homelessness, we have to continue talking about it. It's not a secret. It's not invisible. We have to continue to, to want more for our communities of people who have lost their jobs, who have fallen to mental health issues, who have fallen to chemical health issues, who have fallen to physical health issues that have caused them to not be able to be stable. So things like this, like these podcasts, like blogs, like Homeless Day on the Hill, you know, going to our town council meetings, when we know that things need to be on the agenda, to make sure that people are understanding what, how, and how can we help as taxpaying people? We should be able to tell folks how we they spend our money. You know, when it comes to housing, when it comes to any of it, our infrastructure, even our bus systems impact homelessness. We're located out in White Bear Lake. And we've gone to the council meetings regarding the bus system because on the weekends, folks can't catch a bus after a certain time. You know, in retail restaurants, they don't close at five o'clock or six o'clock. You know what I'm saying? So it's if, if folks don't have transportation, then they can't work. So there's just those kinds of issues that are even beyond having a home, you don't have the resources of transportation. Getting your, I mean, a woman with children, she has to ride the bus to the childcare, then ride the bus to her work, ride back to the childcare, ride back home, you know? So it's, there's just all those challenges that no one thinks of, you know? And when it's what, 20 below in January, <laughs> You know, and you're out there with your little ones, it's difficult. It's really difficult. So um, there's just so much to homelessness that, that we could go on for hours <laughs> and never really resolve the issue, but we can become aware and what you as an individual can do. Everybody has a part. Um, my granddaughter was watching football on Sunday and she, her and her guy, and they were talking about how much these football players make. 
84,000 or something like that. And I said, do you know how many homes we could build? Do you know how many people we could feed? I mean, how many bedrooms in a house do you need? How many cars? I mean, I, I even have me a little summer car. Do I really need that? No, I want it though. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we, we, we don't look at what we're doing. It's all about our own self, you know? It's so inequitable. You know, uh, you have folks that, you have the have and the have nots, <laughs> you know? I just, it just, it's just um, disheartening to think about. I said, how much money? 84,000. I said, what? 84,000 or million? Whatever they make, I, I don't get it. Who needs that much? If, is it me thinking that way? Am I in this by myself? <laughs> Boy, anyway. I really like what you said about about thinking outside of just yourself and how everyone everybody has a part to play. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. We do. Yeah. We really do. Back in our first episode of the housing series, we asked how many evictions there are on average each year. According to a study by the Eviction Lab at Princeton University in 2016, there are approximately 3.6 million evictions annually in the U.S. In August 2020, the Aspen Institute estimated that 30 to 40 million people in the U.S. were at risk of eviction over the next several months. Note that this was before the CDC order halting removal of tenants due to non-payment of rent or COVID-19 financial or health hardships. The CDC order has prevented numerous evictions, but as of the date this episode was recorded, the order is only extended through March 31st, 2021. Thank you so much, Jazzy, for taking the time to speak with us. We hope that this episode has helped our listeners better understand the topic of housing and the incredible work being done in this area of public health. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Perspectives. We would love to hear your thoughts and reactions to the episode. Please connect with us on Twitter or Facebook with the tag at Hub Health Review.